We didn't expect things to be like this, did we? When we welcomed in 2020, we never imagined that it would bring this. You know, lockdown, panic buying, queues for food, jobs at risk, school clo schools closed, lives lost in their thousands. We didn't expect the decade to start like this. If we had, we hoped that we'd have been better prepared, ready for the onslaught, not caught off guard like this. It's all been so unexpected. And for the woman who came to the tomb that morning on that first Easter day, this isn't what they expected either. They weren't prepared for this. There were probably at least five of them. Mary Magdalene, a former prostitute. Joanna, the wife of Herod's administrator. Mary, mother of James, one of the disciples, and at least a couple of others. They'd come with their spices to pay a last loving tribute to their Lord and prepare his body for burial. Do you see, they'd come to say their final goodbyes. They weren't expecting anything more. They certainly weren't expecting a miracle. Back in the previous chapter, we read how these women had followed Jesus all the way from Galilee, all the way to the cross. They'd stood there watching him die. They were eyewitnesses to it all. And then we're told they followed Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea and saw him laying Jesus' dead body in the tomb and then watching as the stone was rolled across the entrance. As far as they were concerned, it, it was all over. Jesus was dead. All hope had been lost and the only thing left for them to do was to give him a proper burial. And so we find them very early in the morning coming with their spices to the tomb. It's been said, sorrow and love are light sleepers. And for these women, they must have felt that they were in the middle of a living nightmare. The Sabbath day before must have felt like an eternity, just sort of waiting, waiting, waiting for this moment when they could finally come and anoint the body of their beloved Lord with their carefully prepared spices. You know, this was a costly act. Costly because these spices would have been expensive, but costly mainly because this was a brave thing to do, to visit the tomb of a condemned radical. To identify with him was a risky business. You might notice, meanwhile, how the disciples stayed firmly behind closed doors. I mean, no doubt paralysed with grief and fear and confusion. But not for the first time. The women lead the way in bravery and devotion. So let's follow these women, shall we, on this momentous day. First of all, arriving at the tomb, we find them understandably perplexed. As I said, they weren't expecting the scene that confronted them. In fact, in Mark's gospel, we have them asking each other as they head to the tomb, who will roll the stone away from the entrance? A question you think they might have considered before setting out on such a task. I mean, this stone would have weighed as much as two tons. How on earth were they planning to even get near Jesus' body? But these are women who, of course, are numb with shock and grief. And we've got to understand they weren't going to the tomb saying to themselves, well, we've got these spices in case he's still dead but let's hope he's still alive again. No, they'd seen him die with their own eyes and his lifeless body brought here and laid in the tomb. This was a last labor of love, not some sort of desperate hope. The opening mood on that Easter morning wasn't one of expectation. It was one of confusion and fear and deep, deep sadness. They were not expecting this. 
and the surprise at finding the stone rolled away and then the body gone. I mean, their first thoughts must have been, who's taken him? What have the Roman soldiers done now? And while they were wondering this, that's the word used in verse four, uh, while they were wondering this, which seems a rather inadequate translation, doesn't it, to describe their utter shock and horror and, and bewilderment, while they were wondering this, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And I love that little detail. I don't know about you, but that little detail that tells us they stood beside them. It implies these angels came alongside them to comfort and reassure them, you know, not appearing over them, as at the birth or standing in front of them, but beside them. And when the women fell with their faces to the ground, the angels explained what we as mere mortals can't easily understand ourselves. See, angels appeared both at Jesus' birth and now at his resurrection to explain the miraculous, the things that are totally outside of our normal experience, our natural world. God invading human history bringing supernatural life, both at his birth and now at his death. Why do you look for the living among the dead, the angels ask? A rhetorical question, almost a rebuke, a joyous, loving, life-changing rebuke. He's not here, they say. You see, this resurrection is physical. It's not simply in their minds or their hopes and dreams. He's not here. He's physically not here. And then came three words, come three words that changed the world forever. He has risen. Three words that make all the difference to this life and the next. Three words that change everything. Three words that give hope its substance. A D.L. Moody once said, one day you'll read the news that I'm dead. Don't believe a word of it. I'll be more alive than ever before. You see, he's speaking of that sure and certain hope that the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings to every believer. Three words that must have been a nightmare for the Roman Empire. The last thing they wanted or expected to hear. Uh, Ken Costa writes in his book, Strange Kingdom, as the rest of the empire woke up on, a Sunday, on Sunday morning and turned their calendars to just another day, the dead body of Jesus inflated with breath and just another day became a pivot about which history would turn. Jesus, the man who had been locked up in death, burst to life and a new strange kingdom was born, a new order of grace in which those who were dead in sin could be raised to life in him. Christ had risen. The celebration could begin. And as the angels spoke, the women were changed from being perplexed to being persuaded. Remember, the angel said, remember what he told you while he was still with you. The son of man must be delivered. He must suffer. He must die and rise again on the third day. See, this wasn't a tragedy. This was deliberate. This was intentional and purposeful. Jesus' mission plan hadn't changed. The son of man must be, not, not will be, it's not he will be killed if they finally get him in the end. No, it's this must happen. It had to happen. 
I mean, Jesus told them, he warned them so many times. If you've got a Bible, just flick back to Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Just one of the many times where Jesus tells his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things. Do you see, he uses that word again, must. He must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. I mean, how clear did he need to be, we ask? Why were they not expecting this to happen? Repeatedly, Jesus told them this had to happen. This was absolutely necessary. Now, necessary for what, we ask? Necessary for God's rescue plan to be completed so that we could receive full salvation. You see, it was all for us. It was all for us. He was rejected for us. He suffered for us. He was handed over for us. He was crucified for us. And he was raised for us. For us to find life, to find God, to know him, to be found by him, to have peace with him at last. These things had to happen. I mean, people like to say, don't they? They like to think that Jesus didn't have to die. But what they fail to realise is that he didn't die as an example he had to die as a sacrifice. These things had to happen. And the empty tomb is proof that the penalty of sin is paid for, that death is defeated, and Jesus' mission on earth was finally completed. And it seems that the women's fears evaporated as, the, as they remembered Jesus' words and realised it was all according to plan. And from being perplexed, they're not only persuaded, but also now they're propelled into action. Verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. You see, this was the women's first response once they understood the good news. They had to tell others. And what was the apostles' response? Verse 11. They didn't believe them because their words seemed like nonsense. And the translation is actually they thought they were delirious. Just a few women crazy with grief and lack of sleep. I mean, what, what more could you expect from these women but a, a garbled story about spices and stones and strange men in white? But yet again, this detailed description seems to verify the truth of the whole story. I mean, just think about it. If you wanted to convince others of this story, you would never have used women to announce it. I mean, not in those days, especially. They, were, they weren't considered cons credible witnesses in that culture. They were unreliable women. And you'd surely never reveal that Jesus' followers, his own disciples, were also doubtful and dismissive of the whole story either. You wouldn't have shown them to be sceptics. But isn't it great that they weren't easily persuaded? It surely proves that they had to be convinced they weren't expecting Jesus to be raised from the dead. They weren't expecting this story that the women brought back from the tomb. Tom Wright comments, from the beginning, the gospel is good news, not least because it dares to tell us things we didn't expect, weren't inclined to believe and couldn't understand. But did we expect that the gospel would be something obvious, something we could have dreamed up for ourselves? And yes, Peter then admittedly decides to go and take a look for himself. The women's story has made him curious enough at least to do that. 
But what a response, yet again. He bends down, we're told, and peers into the tomb and sees the, the strips of linen from the grave clothes lying there all by themselves, sees that the body has gone, just as the woman had said. And what happens? He simply goes away, we're told, wondering, that same word, wondering to himself what had happened. I mean, what a response. He's perplexed, just as the women were initially, but he's not yet been persuaded. And he's certainly not yet been propelled into action as the women had been, but of course he soon would be. And then we know there was gonna be nothing stopping him from telling his story and turning the world upside down. Nikki Gumbel has said, the death and resurrection of Jesus are rooted in history, grounded in scripture and confirmed in experience. Rooted in history, you see, because this isn't some sort of myth, this is a historical fact more provable than many other historical events in, antiqu in antiquity. It's grounded in scripture. It's an event that was foretold by prophets throughout scripture in the centuries before Jesus' birth. And it's confirmed in experience. Every Christian has a story to tell how this has become real in their experience, how Jesus has come alive to them, how they've met with him. Here is hope for all humanity. We've got a story to tell and it's good news for all. And my goodness, we need to hear some good news at a time like this, don't we? People are wide open to hearing that there's more to life than this, that we're not just the victims of some random vicious virus, but we have a savior who's given us a hope and a future and a story to tell. Just the other day, I was having a chat with one of our neighbours across the road and she suddenly started telling me, or rather shouting almost across the, uh, uh, the street at me because we were, you know, at least two metres apart. But she was shouting across the street how she'd met God in a new and powerful way just in these last few months. He'd come alive to her through both the trauma of her cancer treatment that she'd been going through and now in this present crisis. And she couldn't stop talking about it. So let's not allow ourselves to be perplexed, bewildered by events that we don't understand. Let's not doubt the story of the one who, who came to die, who was born to die. The one who knew he must suffer and be crucified so that on the third day he would be raised again. Let's remember Jesus' words just as the women did and be persuaded afresh of their life-giving relevance for the time we live in. And let's allow these words to propel us, propel us out into the world, ready to tell our story of how Jesus saved, has saved us and met with us today. His followers on that first Easter day, the women, the disciples, they weren't expecting this. They were taken unawares. But we are the lucky ones, aren't we? We are the lucky ones because we know the story the most wonderful story of all, the best story that's ever been told.